0: And we're not positive it's enough. It's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming. It's coming home.
1: We'll go on it's getting, back home. I'm getting back. I'm it's on getting, getting back. I'm it's on getting back. It's on getting back. It's Oh
0: Hello and welcome to a new installment of A Link to the Cast, even though it's not quite A Link to the Cast. This is a Euros Championship special edition here at A Link to the Cast. I am Mark Robinson. We're doing things a little bit different today. I am taking the reins. I'm going to see us through on our journey into France, and to do this, I have two of my very good friends with me. I have, first of all, my uh, co-host, or one part co-host of A Link to the Cast, Dave Ryan. How are you? Good evening. It's weird to be back in the
2: co-host spot after uh, so long. It's been about... Jesus, nearly a year where I've been the host of the podcast, so it's, uh, it's it's good to sit back and not have to prepare the notes or the agenda or anything for once and just show up and be an absolute clown.
0: You think I've done anything but just open up a, a website page with just all the stages and all the groups? That well, That's literally all I have here.
2: Well, look, you know, and what, you know what they say, Mark. Some of us are professional and some of us are, Mark.
0: Hi, how's it going? <laughs> and speaking of professionals, on the other side of the pond, where I once laid waste to no one. I have with me my (laughs) former co-host of Faces for Radio. With me is Jack Lazell. Hi Jack, how's it going?
1: Who have you been laying waste to in Ireland is the question that I have.
0: Ah, well, we'll talk about it at some point, but not on this show, not tonight.
1: (laughs) Oh dear, hi everyone, I am Jack Lazell.
0: This is your first time back here since, I want to say, the Game of the Year
1: edition, yeah, the game of the year edition. I'm, yeah. uh, it's quite possibly because I turned heel on Dave and Brian for not voting Metal Gear Solid as game of the year and, and and refused to ever set foot on this podcast again. And then maybe you guys were like, "Oh, Euros," and I was like, hmm, "Yeah, I'm up for that." Yeah, I so was
2: just... if I were to just get on the phone and say either you know we want to talk about football or we want to talk about Snake Eater, I imagine you would have come
0: running back.
1: Yeah, Pokemon Two. Uh, yeah
0: maybe I, I, anything i was sitting on a bus uh, i remember um i think it was christmas day or, or around the christmas period on a bus uh, on my way back to uh, my college i was teaching at and i was just punching my leg in frustration as you were talking about either metal Gear solid 5 or the witcher's game of the year and i was screaming from a- across the land trying to say super mario maker even if i've never played it um luckily i'll be here to rectify the issue in 2016 the game of the year it, 2016 it will in fact be, be super it, mario maker
2: it would be fair to say mark that you have played probably the least of all three of those games out of the three of us
1: <laughs>
2: yeah
0: my point still stands
1: <laughs> uh, you are basically the internet you are proclaiming something as yeah, the winner i've right.
0: never experienced it i have become what i hate anyway well, i think
2: this game i never played should be game of the year Yeah, pretty
0: much. Logical, sound, reasonable argument. Anyway, so yes, we are here to talk about the Euros 2016 starting this Friday. Uh, We are currently recording on a Monday night, a couple of days just outside of the tournament beginning. And uh, yeah, so this is uh, a record filled of 53 nations. Uh, We're drawn into nine groups of five or six teams. And uh, now we have six groups of four teams ready to battle it out to become champion Did you say
1: 53 nations? Are you talking about just qualifying here? Yeah,
0: the qualifying group stage. Okay, good. I was
1: going to say. This tournament is
0: going to go on for a while. I said qualifying stage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Biggest tournament ever. And uh, and yeah, the way we're going to do this is we're going to go through each group of the six groups at a time, talk about the four teams in said groups, kind of give our general feelings about their qualifying campaign, uh, who they're playing against in uh, in their groups, uh, any kind of key players we think are going to stand out. And then what I have, I have a, an Expel Excel spreadsheet open and uh, I want to get your predictions on where each team will finish in their group. Um, obviously, we won't worry about the qualifying, uh, the sorry, the elimination stages, but at the end of it, I'll also we'll want a prediction on who we think will win the Euros well, overall. Speaks, I imagine we'll get that. In speaking the, of predictions,
2: I want to I, I throw a couple of additional predictions in there, Mark. Now, I'm not, I'm not putting the cart before the horse and saying at the start what my predictions are going to be, but I'm going to say, as well as predicting the winners, I would also challenge us to pick who we think will be the dark horse team of the tournament the top scorer of the tournament and the player of the tournament if, if you're willing to accept that challenge i've laid i down. am
0: i am i'm am writing that into my spreadsheet right now i have dark horse uh, what was the other ones
2: top scorer and player of the tournament and player of the tournament
1: in honor of mark's new job at paddy power can we do a team that receives the most throw-ins as well <laughs> I'll tell
2: you what, I, I, I'm i hoping that Mark is going to hit us with some hot odds for every group here.
1: I've got odds, by the way. Oh, I can't, good times. I copy can't, pasted can't odds.
2: Yeah, I have, a, I have a couple what I have here now to, to kind of uh, peek behind the curtain a little. I have a couple of handwritten notes, a couple of things typed up, and I have the uh, expertly put together 442 Euro 2016 guide that I went out of my way to find and buy for this particular broadcast.
1: Okay, i do you one better than that. I have got a only one sticker needed basically complete euro 2016 france panini album here oh. listen oh yeah that's good that's hot sticker action right there
0: yeah i've just got wikipedia open
1: uh yeah with an england squad that includes such luminaries as danny welbeck theo walcott alex Oxley chamberlain And Luke Shaw. I'm sure they're all going to have a great tournament.
0: (laughs) Well, we will talk about England when we get to Group B, but we're going to start off with Group A. Uh, The teams making up this group include, as mentioned, Albania. I look forward to hearing your 30 minutes on them. Uh, The hosts, France, Romania, and Switzerland. Where do you want to start, boys? Should we start with France? They are the Uh, host nation. It's probably the best place to start.
2: Yeah, um... To start off, like I think it's, it's one of those groups. There are a couple of groups here where you're probably debating like who's going to finish first and second, things like that. Um, this is one of those groups where I will be utterly shocked, uh, if anything, but France finishing top of this group happens. Uh, France are a team where, and I nearly kind of um started talking about this with Jack over the weekend when we were watching Soccer Aid, but um, France are a team that when you look at their their whole panel. On paper, it's tough to find a squad that are better capable of winning this tournament than France. Um, like just from like all over the pitch, they've got absolute world class talent and a couple of players who are very much going to be standouts and ones to watch uh, in the tournament. I'm I'm really really looking forward to France, and of course it's their first tournament at home since France ninety eight, which they also won. So it's they have they have a lot to play for. Um, the home field advantage it's going to be. Uh, and that's probably the most interesting part of this group. How do they play under the pressure of uh, being at home?
1: Dave, do you know that France have won three international tournaments and two of those international tournaments were in France?
2: Oh, that's a lovely stat.
1: Yeah, that's I
2: know. Stat. We could have a three out of four now.
1: It could be. It could be a 75% for France winning it in their own country. And do you know that they were actually also the last team to win uh, euros in their own country in 1984
0: oh, are you wonderful. fucking auditioning for the guardian podcast wonderful
1: <clears throat> yes testing one two look let's face it at some stage glenn Denon is going to be saying something so offensive on one of those live shows that he gets himself chucked out of the guardian for life he was kind of so... close
0: to the one we went to, to be he's fair. been flying I... close to the sun for quite a while
1: <laughs> <laughs> i am keeping my shit sharp my friend
0: well um... having a look at the sorry
1: dave
2: I was going to ask Jack what he thinks about this French squad.
1: I mean, it's just an absolute embarrassment of riches, isn't it? Really? Yeah. I mean, I, it, it's strange because I, and I, I think me and Mark are, are very much guilty of this um, on our previous podcast faces for radio. Uh, it's it's enough to look at this team and go, right, that's formidable. So I was trying to look and find weaknesses and literally the only thing I can think of is the fullbacks are kind of old. Uh is 35 now. Yeah. Admittedly, he, he's had a, a, a good season at Juventus. And, I mean, if Sanya plays, he's 33. Uh, and he's kind of been in and out of the City team this year. And uh, that's about it. Everything else, everywhere else. I mean, their midfield... They've just, uh, it's insanely strong. Like, you could, any one of, uh, of Kante and Kabai and Blaise Matuidi, who I think, if he's given a chance, could be really, really good player for them in this tournament. And Payet, who's just been unbelievable this whole season. They've got strength. They've got Sissoko. And they've got the jewel in the absolute crown, which is Pogba, who I'm sure, like, when we get to player of the tournament like he is definitely the elephant with fantastic hair in the room that we have to address straight away um so yeah france to me are pretty much the complete package and that sort of argument about maybe the fullbacks are a little bit old they're both champions league winners uh and they're both excellent so what can you say
2: and then you have like the just the the front line. Um, it's again an embarrassment of riches. Like you've got the likes of kind of Olivier Giroud and uh, Gignac, who are kind of like the the big men, the target men, and like Gignac is really having a career resurgence uh the last year, so has oh, become yeah, a he's, favorite he's, under Deschamps.
1: He's tearing it up in in Mexico. Really I mean, is. I know that's probably not the best um, kind of thing to say about him but he's probably
2: yeah it's probably about as good a barometer as he was the top scorer in holland last year uh you know th- that used to be a 50 50 it could mean that it's rude vanisteroy it could mean it's roy Mackay, uh, yeah
1: exactly it could mean it's louis suarez or it could mean one very personal to me Mattia kesman
2: oh yes indeed <laughs> but, uh, like the french lineup if you look at you so you got the two big men then you've got anthony martial who obviously is a favorite of mine who has had a sensational debut season at united um and like is an absolute like even at times this season and there were many moments during which United looked like they couldn't give a shit about playing football this was a guy who was still trying to fight for every ball. He's got, I think we've both agreed, Jack, he's got shades of a young Henri about him in as much as he is ice cold in front of goal, which at a big tournament, especially when you get to the elimination stages, that kind of coolness and refusal to crack under pressure is something that the squad may end up relying upon, uh, which is, I suppose, putting a lot of responsibility on very young shoulders there. Then you got Antoine Griezmann, like who is no slouch in of himself and speaking of young players who have made quite an impact this season Kingsley Coleman
1: yeah I mean I was going to move on to um and Coleman if you didn't touch on him yourself but what I love the most about that front line is the absolute and total variation of options Giroux is very much a typical center forward And I favour him to start potentially with with Griezmann playing off him, Mm. who is very much that old school second striker, number 10, strong on the counter, quick, play in behind, but also can lead the line if he needs to. And then as you say, off the bench, you've got Martial, who's absolute nails. In a situation where you want the ball bouncing around to fall to someone in the box, he's the guy, he just seems to have no fear. I mean, it coupled with his age he's like 20 years old still right so that probably goes along with it and yeah i mean Koman can absolutely just rip defenses apart i mean if you if you look at like some of the fullbacks that he's going to be going up against in, in this group and some of the ages of the defenders especially like when romania's two center halves of uh, 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 vlad kirakez and and rat both of whom have kind of seen better days in their career there's a hell of a lot of uh, problems that this French front line can cause on every possible parameter. So, yeah, I can't say enough about France.
0: I think the key yeah. statistic as well is the fact that just looking at their last four friendlies they've had, apart from the fact they've won all four of them, is the fact that they've scored no less than three goals in each of those games. Uh, so they are, they are going into this tournament firing on all cylinders yeah. on an offensive uh, front line.
2: Absolutely, and even if you take into account what Jack was saying, and I would agree with the point that like the the one concern there, are the fullbacks and the age of them, like as the tournament wears on, and you're expecting these guys who are thirty three and thirty five respectively to play every few days and still be up to it, um, you you've still got the fact that like it's not like they're uh, at a loss for a goalkeeper either. Their number one is Hugo Lloris, who has been one of the best keepers in the Premier League for quite a while uh his understudy steve mandanda a very very experienced goalkeeper in and of himself and even their third choice uh Costille, uh was one of the the french players i believe who won that under 17s european championship with Nasri and all that uh back in the day unless i'm mistaken jack
1: no uh, yeah that's that's correct i'm that's i'm very impressed with that knowledge and yeah he's a, he's at ren and uh, the last big goalkeeper out of Wren was a guy. I don't know if you've heard of him. I think he's called Peter Chech or Chech. He was he was him. quite good, I think. So he left Wren
2: yeah. and went on to a kind of an understated career after that, I believe.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, just to, to save a few penalties in a Champions League final <laughs> and generally be an absolute boss guys
0: so yeah so that is france we sound pretty positive about them uh next uh we will talk about albania so jack your 30 minutes go ahead
1: (laughs) right so albania i i I genuinely i mean i start off with a fun fact mark um albania's manager's name is as a wrestling fan dbrc does that amuse you
0: Uh, i enjoy that i do enjoy that
1: (laughs) cool um they had a slightly odd qualification process um, because they were kind of bang average in qualification but they were awarded a 3-0 victory over Serbia in a very tempestuous game. I Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean there was like a drone on the pitch and there was a Kosovo flag on it and it was all very emotional and it it got quite tense Uh, and yeah, instead of replaying the game they they basically just awarded albania the three nil win and the three points and and they 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 were 10 goals in qualifying right so three of those three of those goals they didn't actually score and they scored seven goals and that is the lowest amount of goals any team has ever scored in a qualification for a, a major tournament in europe isn't that crazy <laughs> hey
0: let's be fair now how did greece win a european championship
1: that's true uh, yeah they 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 won it with an excellent defense so you can't um,
2: if, you, if you want to talk about um this is this is where i can hop in and i had to actually consult my handy 442 guide to make sure i got his name right <laughs> um they at right back they have a very strong option and that's um Hisaj, who was the fella uh, who signed for uh napoli last summer and is pretty from what i've seen i haven't seen a lot of him. he's only 22 uh he's very very solid at right back And according to this little guide here, he's the second most expensive Albanian player of all time after his national team skipper, Lorik Kanna. So he might be the one to watch there. If you're going to talk about a team that uh, is not great shakes uh, going forward, but might kind of build on a solid defense, he might be your man. I
1: I think if people want um, kind of familiar players in this team, I think you have Lorik Kanna is probably the only one. I know he did a, a stint a few seasons ago and I know he's a bit of a fan favorite at Sunderland. Uh and he always looked very sound when I saw them playing. I'm not entirely sure why they got rid of him, but you know, he's he's at non at the moment and he's captain of the side and and he's a very very solid option. He, he can play sort of central midfield, but he plays at center half for for Albania. Uh interesting one as well I think in this lineup is a guy called Shaka or Haka depending on the pronunciation of that i'm not entirely sure uh and he is the brother of granite Shaka. Ah,
2: that just signed for arsenal
1: that just signed for arsenal his name's talent shaka i feel like i feel like if you're gonna call the older brother granite like maybe he should be like limestone shaka or something along those lines (laughs) just to keep the stone thing going but yeah it the really cool thing about him playing for Albania, obviously um the the pair of them they, they I think their parents are from like the Kosovan region, um and they qualify for Albania. And also the new Kosovo team, which has very recently been ratified by UEFA, although they're struggling to kind of find anyone that wants to leave their current international teams. I know that his brother definitely hasn't, but uh so yeah, it'll be the first time in the European Championships if these two both getting their sides because obviously Switzerland are in this group too. That you could have two brothers facing off against each other. Now it's been a possibility in the World Cup before, obviously Kevin Prinz Birting and Jerome Birting at uh, Ghana and Germany respectively. But I just think that's like a a really bizarre sort of strain of events that's kind of led us here. And and I feel like he's probably. Uh, their most well-known player. Um, he's had a, a pretty good season for for Basel by all accounts. Not that I've seen an awful lot of Swiss football. I have to confess. <laughs> However, Basel has been a bit of a. Um, they're a bit of a Europe, an odd European bogey team for a lot of teams. I know they've beaten Chelsea and beaten United in yeah. in recent years, and and produced a couple of decent players. Probably most notably Mo Salah, who, despite a pretty abysmal tenure at Chelsea. Uh, had a very very good couple of years in italy so uh i think he's definitely the one to watch from this albanian side but i, I must confess a, a lot of the players i i couldn't tell you an awful lot about at this speaking
0: point. of first as well this will be the first european championship tournament for albania uh so not gonna say a dark horse uh probably gonna be one of the rank outsiders but uh, probably going to be in the category of just happy to be here and just to take in the experience.
2: Yeah, they'll, well, just, they'll, they'll they'll be happy. A major success for them, for Albania, is to get to the group and not get absolutely humped in all three games.
0: Um, yeah, and look at their last three friendlies. Uh, they had a 2 0 win against Luxembourg on the 29th of March. On the 29th of May, they beat Qatar. Are the World Cup holders 3 1? And then on the 3rd of June, they lost 3 1 to uh, one of the other teams in this tournament in Ukraine. And uh, there's been a lot of kind of a discussion about whether teams from the same tournament should be playing in friendlies kind of this close to the tournament beginning, uh, but that's another conversation for another day. Uh, so they have a little bit men and they have picked up a few wins,
1: um, most notably it, during qualifying. They actually went to Portugal and won one little away there, which is no mean feat, I've got to say. Portugal, yeah, Portugal, not Portugal the best, but still like that's a good, that's an incredible result for Albania.
0: It is, but Portugal one of those teams where like everyone thinks they're better than they actually are uh and that's kind of just been evident from the last sort of 16 years of kind of watching major tournaments
2: i think the yeah i think the 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 one-two punch of um getting royally stitched up by was it the americans in 2002 with their supposed golden generation and then just
0: 2004 finals but then
2: yeah that's what i was gonna (laughs) say the one-two punch of that and then somehow managing to banjax the 2004 campaign uh they've not really they've never really reached those heights since
0: um and it's
2: yeah but we'll look we'll we'll save portugal for later
0: yeah moving on uh we will now go and look at romania oh just
1: one more thing about albania they're 200 to 200 to one outsiders guys uh, that right. is um, that is among the longest odds of any team in the tournament.
0: I imagine the £10 bet you would probably put on there is just for them to simply qualify uh, out of the group stages.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, sometimes 5,000 to 1 things come in, don't they? So, I know, you know, right? Exactly. Uh,
0: so, moving on to Romania, who are making their fifth uh, entry into this tournament and it's, uh, their romania... first,
2: it's their first tournament since 2008 uh, in any it's... respect
0: yes and uh romania they're not a team i am overly familiar with uh my lasting memory of them is uh dan petrescu with his blonde barnet in the 1998 world cup uh, and then that's pretty much it so um... i'm
2: Romania can be a nice and uh, tightly organized side that rather than cause a lot of teams worries going forward, can very much uh, frustrate teams uh, at the back. And I think a classic example of that from the last tournament they were in was when they were the... They were the first team to manage to grind the free-scoring Holland to an absolute halt in the third game of the group stages. I think it took a... Was it a was it a Van Nistelrooy or Huntelaar got the goal in that game? But it was only a 1-0. Like, Holland having just humped Italy 3-0 and France 4-1. And Romania kind of just were a very tightly organised team and uh, caused them a lot of kind of congestion issues when Holland were trying to break against them. But... Uh, and kind of, I imagine that's probably what we're going to see in this tournament, if they're going to hope to get anything out of it, is that they're going to try stay tightly organized at the back uh, and hope to, you know, nick a goal here or there. And the centerpiece of that seemingly will be, and I'm not going to try and butcher his name at all, I'll leave Jack to try that, The uh, the former Spurs center half. Uh Vlad,
1: Vlad, Vlad Kirikesh, Kirikesh I, I, I believe I, honestly, like that's as as close as you're gonna get from me, guys. Yeah. But yeah, I I think it's dead on about Romania. In fact, they have the best defensive record of anyone in European qualifying, and they they conceded two goals in ten games. That is insane. Like that it. is a a crazy crazy record. I mean, admittedly. Perhaps you could make the argument that they weren't in the best group. Northern Ireland won their group, and you also had uh, fellow Euro 2016 finalists Hungary in there, and Finland, and the Faroes, and and Greece, who ended up finishing bottom of, of that group. What? A yeah, that was,
0: grace. That, that was a relatively low scoring qualifying group but, overall. But still, yeah. even in,
2: even in a low scoring group, it does take some gumption to only concede two and ten. Like it's, unbeaten you too. Gotta give them their due, like yeah, and unbeaten. They were, yeah.
1: Unbeaten, they they five wins, five draws, which is pretty bloody impressive, even like, in relatively easy group.
2: Yeah, like it'd be relatively easy group, but you got to also think about like that. Those are also several of those teams would be considered, I'd say, by most people at large to be at about Romania's level. So you know, what I mean, they've done well there.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, you definitely would have to say that. And as as I mentioned before, um, the central defensive partnership of of Kirakos and and Razvan Rat, who yeah aside from having an excellent excellent name is another one that uh i'd say obscure premier league footballer fans will like or probably remember for his his brief spell at west ham united uh i think their strength does probably come from those two even though they're a little bit on the slow side and i've already mentioned coman's turn of pace might cause some problems but yeah if you look at their goalkeepers as well i mean it's a sneaky uh, shot at a, a, one of the better one-two punches of goalkeepers because they've got Costel Pantilimon, who, in my opinion, is quite underrated and has been a very so. very solid option uh, for any of the teams he's played at. I think he's at Watford now, but you know he's Sunderland and and even um, dethroned Joe Hart at Man City for a while. And and Cyprian Sanu. I believe is how you pronounce that. He's Fiorentina's goalkeeper and, and is, again, a very, very accomplished player. So oh. those two have got a big battle out of there. But there's, there's... Got a lovely staff not... as
2: well for the Romanian goalkeepers there, Jack. And Go their, their third choice goalkeeper, Silvio Lung, is actually the son of Silvio Lung Sr., who was in goal for Romania at Euro 1984 and the 1990 oh. World Cup.
1: Wow, that's amazing. And apparently so... he
2: loves reading. Thanks Brilliant. to the Guardian.
1: the really important fact of being brought to you on this podcast. Um, I think where I would worry uh, if I was a Romania fan is that they don't tend to score a lot of goals. Uh, They didn't score more than two goals in a game in the qualifying groups. Uh, and they did look a little bit blunt in the few games that I saw. Them. Actually, that's a lie. They beat the Faroe Islands 3-0, but then that kind of doesn't count because it's the Faroe Islands.
0: Uh, With that even... said, in their last couple of finals, uh, their last game they played, they had a 5-1 win over Georgia, and uh, they beat oh, they lost to Ukraine but scored three goals in that game. So over the last couple of games, they've, they've picked up a few goals here and there. Uh, but certainly, as, as you say, in looking at the qualifying uh, stages, uh, just overall a very lacklustre kind of performance. And they do have the added pressure that they have the opening game of the Euros against France uh, and a very, very good France at that. So if they don't get off to a start, if they can't find a way to grind France down uh, and try and get out, you know, maybe a a goalless or one all draw, they could be in trouble, you know, from the get go of this tournament.
1: Yeah, very much. I mean, it's the last thing you want being playing against the host nation in the first game it's 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 horrible it used to be that you would play the winners of a tournament in the first game um which is probably best remembered for when senegal shocked france 1-0 oh, in, in the world cup yes. in 2002 you know reigning and defending world and european champions france uh and and they ended up getting turned over by senegal uh but it's it's a different thing altogether and i think the really important game for Romania, and and I think it'll be pretty key, is their second game. They're playing Switzerland in their second game, and there will be a hell of a lot of pressure on them to get a result out of that because Switzerland are playing Albania first, and I I think we kind of can agree that Albania are probably the weaker of the of the four teams here. Yeah. So if Switzerland win that game, uh, and and France do what we would expect and, and beat Romania they have to get a result against Switzerland and it probably, you would say a win or, or if they manage to draw, they're going to have to go and absolutely stuff Albania in the last game. Uh, if they want, but then, you know, with the added kind of third team qualifying in the group, that they're always going to give themselves a shot, but when they need goals uh, and when they've been quite blunt in competitive games, as opposed to friendlies, that's probably where I'd worry for them. But I'd say they're Just about good enough to get through in third place in this group. Would you agree?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think they have a a, they have a a chance. Uh, I'll give them the slight outside chance uh, against Switzerland. Uh, And finally, speaking of Switzerland, the last team in this group, uh, they came second in their qualifying campaign. uh, Just well I say, just below England. Uh, They got 21 points with seven wins and three losses, scoring 24 goals overall in that campaign. Uh, Maybe a slightly unfair stat, considering seven of them came against San Marino. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) what do you think? What do you think of Switzerland's Um, chances?
2: I think Switzerland are a team that have potential to cause a lot of team trouble. I think that they've got a bit of a a, a kind of a solid spine going. Like you've got Jan Sommer in goal, uh, but the main... The main men to watch, really, are their captain, Lichtsteiner, who we all know from Juve. Uh, Jerdan Shaqiri, who, when he turns up, is an unbelievable player, untouchable on his day. And you've also got the likes of uh, Valon Berami and Granit Xhaka. Like, Berami is, can be a bit hit and miss, but, like again, on his day, can cause people trouble. And Granit Xhaka, it's going to be great for Arsenal fans who aren't really familiar with his work to get to see him... Uh, like Marshall, the Swiss midfield. He's a real key man there in the middle for them. And there's also like a couple of players in there who I think are going to have reasonably good showings at the tournament, like um, uh, Fabian Schär uh, at centre-half and um, the young fella from Ladback, What's his name? Uh, Nico Elvedi, that's him. Uh, he's only 19, but uh, from uh, I've seen a bit of him and he's uh, actually quite decent as well at centre-half if he gets a, a look in
1: yeah I, I would go along with that I think um, they've got very very good fullbacks I think Ricardo Rodriguez and Stefan Lichtsteiner um, are probably better starting fullbacks than maybe what France have got on offer although there's no other area of the pitch I would take Switzerland over France um, mm. I'm very much looking forward to seeing what uh, Brielle Mbolo can do uh, he is a young forward again who he's playing for Basel uh, and as I say, they've been a little bit of a hotbed of, of European uh, young talent that they've been cultivating. And you know, he's only nineteen years old, but he's already scored thirty goals uh, for Basel in in the Swiss league in the last two years. So it'd be interesting to see what kind of impact he can have. He's very quick, uh, and I think he could probably get some of the defenses in this group. As you say, Shaqiri probably going to be the key man, right? Um, it's I remember watching him, I think, was it the lo- the last group game of the last World Cup? Did he score a hat-trick? Yeah. Uh, and he was absolutely out of this world. And at that time, you know, there was the, the Bayern Munich move, and he was pretty much going to be the man uh, going forward. And he just hasn't quite managed to hit the peaks that i think a lot of people have expected from him and even at stoke this season he's been a bit in and out yeah, um like so
2: on his day uh at stoke even he's absolutely sensational like he he's instrumental whenever you see stoke getting a big win uh in the premier league it's a uh, good betting that jordan shakiri was central to that process um he is a player that like he can be the real difference for switzerland like the he can be the difference between switzerland like clawing their way through the group stage and like maybe doing something in the first round of uh of the elimination matches and kind of like if he shows up he can really like start turning something on for them i think
1: yeah definitely agree with it It, it's just a shame that he hasn't quite perhaps hit those heights so yeah it'd be good to see I mean, he seemed almost more comfortable playing for Switzerland than than I've seen him uh, in in other environments in various European football teams that he's been playing for. So yeah, I, I look forward to it. And I think he's another one that rolled off the uh, the Basel production line a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, so uh, yeah, so like this is another excellent example of of those guys producing young talent so there's there's a lot of young talent in this switzerland team and i think so maybe 24
2: as well jordan shakiri like it's
1: a, yeah this it's is this time. is what i mean he he's you know still a couple of years away from what you would say would be the peak of his career yeah. uh there's a couple of more experienced players in here as you mentioned barami who's a very seasoned campaigner in a premier league has played for watford and west ham and uh granite hacker even at the age of 23 has already got that sort of leadership quality about him Uh, A very
2: shrewd purchase for arsenal it must be said
1: it's exactly what they needed and and licksteiner i mean licksteiner's story this year is absolutely amazing um just to fill in anybody that that wasn't really aware of it like he had pretty dodgy heart trouble cardiac arrhythmia I believe is the correct uh, thing. And I say that just because I I quickly clicked into his Wikipedia page. But uh, he had a cardiac arrhythmia and he had to come off in a game in Italy uh, and basically had to have surgery. Uh, So they had to perform open heart surgery on a guy who returned a month later his first game back in the Champions League, a very tough game, away at Borussia Mönchengladbach and whacked in an absolute banger of a volley for Juventus. And I just thought that was like one of the real feel-good stories of the season, because this guy is like, I mean, we we all remember what happened um, with uh, oh, the Bolton player a few years ago. Juan you Juan. guys know what I mean? That's yeah, Fabrice for for Wamba. I, everyone's got that in their head and, and they remember like Okay so this is a guy at the peak of his career Who's kind of just had everything blinked out Because he had a dodgy heart And a similar th- fate was kind of hanging over Licksteiner And a month later the guy is bombing up the wing To smash in a volley at the back post In the Champions League So I think that's pretty cool So this guy has been through uh, hell in a handbasket this year And you know after that Really the Euro is just going to be a bit of a Run around in the park isn't it <laughs>
0: So I will now try and get some predictions. Um, I would uh, like to point out that the 2014 uh, group stages for both France and Switzerland saw them in the same group, which ended with France winning the group with seven points and Switzerland uh, winning with six points. And I'm going to go for a similar prediction here and say that France will uh, win the group with Switzerland coming second. uh, And then I will say Romania will come third. And finally, Albania will finish off in fourth.
2: Yeah, I'd probably go with the same order, and I would. Pff, I I feel kind of like I might want to take a cheeky uh, punt and say France will finish with nine points.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. It just depends if they, if they got the six points going into the last game, do they then offer out games to a few of the players that haven't played yet against Switzerland just to see but what? Even, what even they some can of do. the fr-
2: even some of the French backup players are better than most of the oh, other no. players in that group. Though is the thing.
1: Uh, Absolutely. And with Switzerland's first two games being against Albania and Romania, both teams could be in one of those dead rubber style matches where they've both already qualified. And you could then have the last game of the group being much more interesting, Romania playing Albania in Lyon, basically for all the marbles of finishing third yeah. and seeing if they can qualify as a best loser. Yeah. And I would 100% agree with your order, ordering, Mark.
0: Yep. Okay. I will like that in there now awesome okay so that is group A moving on to group B and I will start with I would probably say will be the rank outside of this of this group in Slovakia who I know are to us and say England it, well yeah <laughs> uh, who are making their debut in this tournament and had a pretty impressive qualifying campaign overall finishing second uh, and you know scoring quite a few goals in the process as well uh, finish off with 22 points, behind Spain with 27 points. So Slovakia, one of those teams that you don't immediately think about, but they're actually they're, they're pretty impressive. Um, and their last three friendlies, they had a 3-1 win over Georgia, uh, the 3-1 win over Germany, which I think some people do remember, uh, and then also finally a draw, a goalless draw, with Northern Ireland on the 4th of June. So what do we think about Slovakia?
2: Uh- my my whole thing on is I don't really have much to say about Slovakia, but I think I could sum it up in one sentence, and that's any team that has Marek Hamshik in it could, on its day, cause trouble for anybody. Um, he is a man who I have quite enjoyed because I I. I I was a follower and an enthusiast of the uh, the Napoli project when they had Lavezzi and Cavani and the like in it. And I always thought Hamsik was uh, the kind of the guy who he wasn't grabbing the headlines like Cavani and Lavezzi were, but he was a, an absolutely integral part of that group of players, uh, much as he is like the talismanic leader here for Slovakia. Like outside that... There's not going to be a huge amount of players the the casual football fan would have a familiarity with, with the exception of the likes of Martin Skirtle or anything like that. I don't think they're going to like create any major headlines in this group. But again, like I said, uh, Marek Hamsik in there, you can never really rule them out. Or And you want to talk about players who never really lived up to the brief potential. They had Vlad Weiss is in there as well. But uh, yeah, it's really... And
1: you could add Miro Stuck. You could that.
2: indeed. You could indeed. But it is kind of like it. Their performance, much as we said, like the the difference between a good and great performance for Switzerland was uh, Jordan Shakiri showing up the the difference maker for Slovakia. It's it's all Marek Hamšík, as far as I'm concerned, anyway.
1: Yeah, I would have to agree with that. He is, despite what can only be described as an interesting attempt at a haircut yeah. a very very accomplished footballer he kind of looks like sort of like the medium evolution pokemon uh <laughs> before they evolve into like a full mohawk travis barker style look uh but i have to say this slovakia team kind of looks quite average to me yeah. you have you, you've you mentioned scurl he's the captain He's probably their better defender, and, and he was struggling to get games for Liverpool towards the end of the season. Uh, there's another young defender in there called Norbert Gürnberg, I believe would you, how you pronounce that. Uh, he's, he's been alone at Roma this year. didn't have many games, but I think there's a lot of teams that have looked at him because he's oh, quite... Oh,
2: is he the guy... Is he a Catania? Like yeah. The, that's the, his parent club, yeah? Yes. I ah, yeah, yeah, I've heard
1: of him. And he's quite he's quite a big unit. Uh, and he's quite a good defender. And I think, yeah, as I say, there have been a few teams around looking at him and basically just due to a huge shortage of really quality centre-halves in Europe at the moment. He's very much a development project, but I'd imagine it'll be him starting alongside Skirtle. Um, so that defence may be not looking particularly great and, and kind of easy to break down. But yeah, if if anything good's going to happen, it's definitely going to be going through Hamschuk, who is of all the players in the team the top scorer and I believe the most capped as well even at the age of 28 he has 85 caps for his national team which is a testament to how much of a great player he's been and how key he is to them he is essentially their talisman uh there's not an awful lot more really to say about Slovakia I think they've had a very very tough draw on the face of things I think to be in this group Uh, considering if you look at some of the other groups that they could have ended up in, it's pretty hard. Um, You know, they were in a qualifying group with Spain as well, probably thought to themselves, oh, we're in a tournament, you know, we've done our best to get here, and landing in this group, I think is going to be pretty difficult for them. And you know what? This is my favourite stat here that I did when I was researching this whole thing, because you know how everybody is obsessed with possession now? It's like, you know... Become in the last five ten years, every single game you'll constantly see a last five minutes of possession. Slovakia actually averaged forty three point five percent possession in the uh, entire European qualification, which is the lowest possession average of any team. How about that, guys?
2: Wolf, it's a lovely star.
0: I'll double that with another wolf as well. Uh, moving on to the motherland, Russia making their 11th crack at the Euros, uh, winning the inaugural tournament back in 1960, when they were obviously known as the Soviet Union. Uh, they came second in their group with 20 points, which had six wins, two draws, and two losses. Uh, in the their last three friendlies, they had a, a 4-1 loss to France, a 2-1 loss to the Czech Republic, and a one all draw with Serbia. So they're not coming into this tournament exactly how it's ablaze. Uh, How do we think of Russia's chances in this group?
2: Um, I don't want to, like, you never want to uh, lean into the stereotype of uh, Russian sports figures being, like, hard as coffin nails. But um, that's kind of, as far as I'm concerned, the story about the the Russian defence, at the very least, like the likes of Inashevich, uh, Shenikov and Berezutsky as well. I would not fancy being a striker, running at those men and trying to get through with my head still attached to my shoulders um but i think there that... is
1: in particular looks like an absolute spitting image blonde version of branislav ivanovich uh he, he's utterly terrifying
2: yeah he looks like he would probably be like um the the mute bodyguard of a bond villain
1: yeah i pretty much think he was the one that faced rocky in that film that yeah, time
2: yeah um, I think really, uh, I don't really have a lot to say about the Russian team, except for the fact that they're they're a team that like back um, kind of nearly 10 years ago at this point, like around Euro 2008 was the time where you thought there's a fair few players in that squad that if they kind of keep playing together and they could kick on and actually be a, a bit of a force at some major tournaments, but it hasn't really panned out that way for them. Um, and the thing that really uh, is going to define their campaign uh, from the start is the fact that, for me, the, the man who I think would be their key player has missed the tournament. That's Alan Jaguev from Seska Moscow. Uh, the yeah. guy who, of all those players who broke through uh, several years ago, had by far the most potential. Um, he's still only 25, but he broke a metatarsal, so he's had to withdraw from the squad. Um, which is a terrible shame, and it was only uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think, that it happened. Um, so, like, that's really a real blow for them before the tournament even starts. And he is really the, the creative force in that team. Like their their forward line isn't really going to uh, light up the tournament, as far as I was concerned. No. But the, man, the man who would have for them, who would have really put the ball on a plate for them to just kind of hit off and knock it in would have been alan jagoev and it's kind of uh sad from my point of view he's one of those players that i think um could have uh put himself in light or even in the shop window whichever one he'd prefer had he shown up at this tournament but um yeah sadly we won't get to see him
1: yeah i, I agree jagoev is is a brilliant player and and you saying about the forward line alexander kakorin don't rate him at all i've seen him play quite a few games for russia um and he just isn't i don't think he's really good enough to get the job done for them up front so i you know i'm I'm happy for him to prove me wrong in the tournament but he's he's not a particularly exciting prospect i guess
2: here's one of my stats corcoran is the second highest paid russian player in the premier league
1: that is absolutely that is absolutely crazy that was going to be
2: under Igor e Denisov as
1: the top uh, paid player. I mean, fair enough. Uh, he's a very experienced player. Uh, Roman Shirokov is probably the guy uh, that's going to be maybe the sort of talismanic figure here. He's the captain. He's he's 34 now. This is probably going to be his last major tournament. So hopefully he goes out with a bit of a bang. Um, mention want to mention a younger player as well um, who there's a little bit of excitement around. Hasn't played an awful lot of football um, at the highest level yet. But it's a guy called Alexander Golovin. He's, uh, he's at Seska as well,
2: isn't
1: he? He is at Seska Moscow as well. Right. Uh, and he scored two goals in the three games that he's played for Russia. And they very much kept him sort of wrapped up in cotton wool. They haven't overexposed him as of yet. So I think he might be the sort of impact substitute kind of role in this tournament. Uh, and he looks... Pretty exciting from the little clips and bits I've seen of him on YouTube. Because, yes, that's what I do on Sunday. I watch clips of obscure Russian footballers on YouTube. Uh, And, yeah. How the other half live. Yeah, exactly. I don't know the other half of what, necessarily. (laughs) The the thing about Russia as well now is there was a stage. I mean, after 2008, and they kind of shocked everyone by beating that dutch team that just looked like they were going to steamroll their way all the way to the final of that tournament after yeah. uh just destroying the I, group stage I,
2: i'll tell you how much like i still resent that russian team to this day because like going back to when i was a child uh russia not russia sorry the netherlands have been always my second team like an auntie of mine who ended up with her middle son is my godson uh she's dutch so that's my kind of way in to cheer for them when Ireland either don't make it to a tournament or get knocked out early. And Euro 2008 was the tournament where finally in my lifetime um, a Dutch team kind of uh, started lighting things up again uh, for the first time in quite a while and they had the likes of my favourite player in the world at the time, Wesley Snyder, as the centrepiece of that team. And the Russians just broke my fucking heart in that tournament.
1: <laughs> yeah. they—they. They, I mean, it was... It was kind of heartbreaking for everyone, but it's kind of the typical story of Dutch football. Which yeah. me and me and Dave had a bit of a chat about on Facebook the other day. Yeah, Uh like,
2: yeah, just, I, like, oh, it's, oh, I'm just thinking about the 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 absolute oh the talent in that Dutch squad in 2008 was just ridiculous.
1: Yeah, that, I just my last memory of that game is just the look on um <laughs> why why can I not remember his name? The Arsenal former Arsenal player. Brain's gone. No, 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 no. Russian. Arshavin. Andrei Arshavin. Arshavin. Oh. Right. He's him. just like a little sort of <laughs> inquisitive look at the camera as if to say, eh, we've beaten him. And what? After he scored his goal, which I think put them 3 1 up at the time. Mm. Just an absolute heel move. From, from russia and you know they're probably gonna genuinely be the most hated team in the tournament if eurovision has taught us nothing guys is that people really don't like russia because they're happy to vote for ukraine no matter how bad the song is to win the <laughs> eurovision song contest uh and yeah i don't have an awful lot more to say on russia other than the fact that only one of russia's 23 players plays outside the Russian Premier League now um, and that's Roman Neustadter. and obviously he has come from German parents who grew up in the former Soviet Republic and pretty much went all the way through the youth system at Mainz before turning out in the Bundesliga and now plays at Schalke Uh, hasn't actually made an appearance for Russia yet which says to me that maybe he was kind of holding out hope that he was going to play for Germany one day and it just never came. So he's like, yeah, I was born in Russia. I'll take that. So that's kind of taken everyone's sort of view of the Russian players away now. And I know that Putin brought in that rule in in Russian football where you could only have a certain amount of foreign players per side, I think it's maybe three. And he just brought that in overnight. Typical Putin's just like, yep, right, okay you're not having this many foreign players. Our national team needs to get better. So that's why you see guys that are kind of bang average, like Alexander Kokorin, who is the second highest paid player in Russia, because everybody is kind of kept insular within within the Russian Premier League, and we don't see as much of them anymore. So I wonder how much that's going to hurt in Russian football. And I guess we'll find out.
0: Moving on, we go to another uh, debutant here at the European Championships in Wales who uh, I feel everyone's kind of rooting for after, obviously, the tragedy of Gary Speed passing away in 2011. Uh, Coleman has kind of taken the reins and has got them to this point now where they qualified in the campaign stages with uh, uh, six wins, one loss, and three draws, uh, garnering 21 points, only two points below Belgium who had gone on to win that group. And uh, their last... No, go on. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the last couple of games. They're <laughs> even going to hear me over this. The, last the, of games, the patented uh, Lazelle soundboard has made its return. <laughs> doing too well with a 3 2 loss from the Netherlands, 1 or draw of Northern <laughs> Ireland, 1 0 loss to the Ukraine, and a 3 0 loss to Sweden. Uh, how do we think Gary Bell and 10 other people are going to do?
2: Um, I think uh, Chris Coleman has done a a bang up job really kind of uh, taking the reins in a very, very difficult and unenviable situation with the tragic passing of Gary Speed um, to get the team this far. And I think, yeah, everybody has a temptation with Wales to write them off as basically, like you said, uh, Mark, Gareth Bale and the rest uh but we shouldn't overlook Which, by the
0: way I, I should point out that was with a hint of like, oh i know sarcasm. but
2: but that's what i mean like is that people do do that i, I have yeah. heard that in many quarters but you're talking about like bail aside like because i would class them as obviously more of a forward and um, like the kind of the, the three in midfield of aaron ramsey joe ledley and joe allen is very very solid Uh, and shouldn't really be overlooked and um, Ashley Williams is going to be very very important for them at the back so it's not really all about Bale but it is kind of it's one of those things where Bale is going to be like if if Wales get far it is most likely going to be on Gareth Bale's shoulders and I will say before I pass it over to Jack because I really don't have that much more to say um, one you'll be hoping Aaron Ramsey can stay fit for the tournament because he's not a man who has a fantastic history of staying fit for long periods of time and I'd also like to get to see a look in at some point during the group stages for um, George Williams of Fulham, who is apparently a very exciting young talent that I haven't had a chance to see uh, much of, uh, I must confess. But I have heard that he's uh, he's quite something. Uh, Jack?
1: Yeah, he had a, like a brief loan spell at Gillingham this year, and apparently he was meant to be pretty good. I was actually, funnily enough, on the way back from a Chelsea game, uh, I think it was quite a disappointing one because it was kind of around the sort of season? November. Oh, absolutely. Well then, yes. November, <laughs> no, November, December kind of time. And I was speaking to, uh, a couple, no, I think maybe February. Oh, Fe- it was, it was cold guys is what I'm trying to get across. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of huddled on the tube and kind of trying to stay warm and stuff. And I, got talking to a couple of like an old couple and they were Gillingham fans and and you know season ticket holders and literally all i know to say about jillingham is andy hessenthaler uh and and apparently that worked because they just all of a sudden befriended me uh and they were singing the praises of young George Williams out on loan, and he's saying that he looks pretty tidy, so that's a very good shout, Dave, that I was going to bring up myself, and you've just co-opted my Sorry, Uh, (laughs) but You know, what are you going to do? I thought it was worth it just to get that little little anecdote in there, and you guys can say cool story, bro, if you like. Uh, I'm going to be a bastard and say that it kind of is Gary Bale plus 10. Uh, There really is a huge... Emphasis on Gareth Bale. He is making them tick. He was the one scoring all the important goals in the qualifying. He's the talisman. And you know what? For a star player, he very much doesn't have the sort of Billy Big Time about him. He's quite a humble guy. And if anything, a lot of the stuff that I've seen of Bale, he looks the most comfortable I've ever seen him in a football shirt when he's in the Wales team and the Wales set up. Like, it's kind of like he's grown up with a lot of these lads. He's grown up with the Aaron Ramses of the world. He's grown up with the Joe Ledley's of the world. And I think he feels very, very comfortable in, in their company. And yeah. that usually brings out the best side of him. Uh, Cause the guy is just, I mean, it, it, I can't wait at some stage for Ronaldo to leave uh, Real Madrid if it ever happens. And they'd be foolish to do it, but it's kind of been mooted now just to see what we can really see from Gareth Bale. Uh, But obviously there are other great players in there. Williams and James Collins have been very strong central defenders in the Premier League for a good four or five years now. Quite why no one has come in for Ashley Williams at Swansea. And I think it's probably a bit too late in his career now because he's 31 years old, but maybe two, three years ago when he's in his late 20s and they can see the kind of player that he was very... Again, he's a natural kind of leader in that setup and nobody's come in for this guy. And I I just think that's kind of weird. Like, I think he could have been the answer like an Everton or a Liverpool, just somebody... I mean, Liverpool went for quite a lot of the Swansea players anyway didn't they after Brendan Rodgers and and that was the one to me that it just seemed like the most logical next step for Ashley Williams um Joe Allen he's kind of made himself a little bit looking like Perlow this season maybe hoping to sort of capture that sort of similar role and I I think has become like an odd cult hero at Liverpool I think at first he was kind of hated because of his Big transfer, his association with Brendan Rogers and his sort of central role in an episode of that really bizarre Liverpool documentary from a few years ago that people kind of are trying to forget. But I'm quite happy to remind anyone that supports Liverpool about Brendan Rogers and his envelopes. Oh, the envelopes. Uh, the envelopes yeah but so he's kind of developed a great relationship with the fans there this year and and that's kind of cool to see and that is a decent midfield and it's a decent center half unit wayne hennessy has had a a good year for crystal palace i mean getting in at, at number one over like long time serving club legend julian speroni he was out like for a long period with injury uh is a pretty cool thing for him to have done you know he was bouncing around he was at Wolves for a while he wasn't really getting the look in and, and he's come and kind of made that number one spot his own at Crystal Palace so he's got to be happy with that it's just up front I mean you could play Bale through the middle but I don't think it's where he's most effective and you know when your kind of main striker in the qualifying was Hal Robson-Khanu who's essentially a championship winger and a decent one but not much better than that Ah, uh, I mean Sam Vokes Again, has always been in and out of the Premier League with Wolves and Burnley and never really convinced me. And if you're looking at kind of the spread of goals in the team, uh, Bale scored 19 for Wales. Ramses scored 10. And then there's nobody else anywhere near. The next highest is Vokes, who scored six and 40 appearances, which for a striker isn't particularly great. So there's a lot of quality in the team. Gareth Bale is an amazing player but they do not have two strikers or even one striker to rub together and even though people are kind of saying they're dark horses, that would be a big worry for me
0: Yeah, so anything else? No no. Okay, so finally moving on to England who had the best qualifying campaign of anyone uh, this year at Euros 2016 with 10 wins uh, scoring 31 goals and uh, even with all these wins and even with the last three friendlies being all victories, uh, everyone, it seems, is still hounding on that we are going to have a terrible tournament, um, which, <laughs> you know, to a certain degree, uh, I mean, Roy Hodgson's going to get scrutinized for whoever he picks uh, to be sent to this tournament. And why I do disagree with one or two choices, <coughs> Jack Wilshire. the team <laughs> overall are, you know, I feel we have a good chance. I'm I'm not going to go too much into analytical details. It's not really my strong point when it comes to football. But like we've had, a, we won every game in our qualifying campaign. We looked pretty strong, kind of offensively and defensively. Defensively is probably still our weakest point. That is where we're going to get caught. Um, but I feel we have a chance. I generally do. Uh, I'm going to
2: tread carefully during this one. So you I fucking say, better so i will say they're all very nice young men
1: uh,
2: <laughs>
0: you no uh, uh, that would also be a fucking lie
2: the actual question i really want to ask the thing i am most curious about uh, well one of the things i'm most curious about regards this england team
1: as uh, opposed because, to other men
2: uh, is uh jack uh, being the 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 one of the two of you fine english gentlemen who is in england still how has the build-up been? Uh, we we know that the tradition is for certain elements of the red-top media to start over-hyping England's chances, uh, which really like traditionally has set them up for a massive fall then when it comes to the tournament. How has the media or the public reaction been in the build-up to the tournament and the announcement of the squad and all that?
1: I think there was a, a lot of... Um... I mean, the most recent development, obviously, being the exclusion of Townsend and uh, Danny Drinkwater uh, in kind of favour of an injury-prone Daniel Sturridge and a Jack Wiltshire, who's probably played less football than I've spent time on the toilet in the last couple of months. Um, So, like, that is not really mm, the best press for Roy. But at the end of the day, we qualified and we won all of our games. And despite our defense looking incredibly shaky in recent weeks, we faced the fewest shots of any team in the qualifying. So we kind of had our shit together there. Um, I'd say the media have been, you know what, actually quite balanced. And that is saying something because it's usually like we win a friendly, we're going to win the World Cup, we lose a friendly, sack the manager up, bring in the young players Oh, but the average age is like 24. Yeah, I don't know. Bring in like the under 20s, you know. And then you see like Nathaniel Chaloba out there going, w- w- why am I playing? So like that that's kind of the snapshot of the English media, if you guys aren't familiar with them. But I think we've been quite balanced. I think we've been quite realistic. And I think we look uh, at the situation that we're in and there's probably about four or five teams, I would say, that are better than England. Can England pull something off and everyone is kind of being really realistic about it. Possibly if we get the right breaks at the right time, we can maybe make it to the semifinals and you put yourself in the semi-finals, and, you know, anything's possible from that point. Uh, you know, Greece won it. Chelsea won the Champions League with just no hope whatsoever a few years ago. So it's all possible. But yeah, I, I, everyone over here has been kind of balanced about it, which is good for once uh but there's i feel like in the last maybe 10 years and i think mark might agree with this because he has spent time over here don't you think there's kind of an apathy from the general public creeping in mark about our football team
0: um i wouldn't say so much an apathy but i think with the end of the quote-unquote golden generation uh we're kind of just in like new territory now i I think it's just there's a lack of expectation which is very healthy for us at this point Uh, i feel that like for the last ever since euro 96 um there's been this kind of feeling that we we were just tipping on the verge of becoming one of those teams that could actually win a tournament um and then you know the World Cup 98 happened and then know 2000 happened and then 2002 happened and so on and so forth. And just the, the pressure kept building up until, you know, just you kind of shake a bottle and the end of it, it explodes. And like now there's just nothing left in that bottle. And that's just kind of, I feel where the expectations for, for England at this point are, um, you know, the team is very, very young. You know, we've been going through this transitional period and I feel that we're now kind of, coming to the end of that transition and we now have this kind of core solid foundation there's still a few kind of places where I feel we've never fully replaced some people like Gary Neville uh, right back um and well, send the, the halves whole, and centre halves as well um If you look 10 years
1: ago and it's Terry and Ferdinand and you look now and God love Gary Cahill, but Cahill and Smalling, who, by the way, of any of the players in the European Championships, has the most minutes on the pitch this season. There you go. And he looked very tired in the FA Cup final when Yannick Bellassi flicked the ball past him and all he could do was grab at him a linebacker style and drag him to the ground and get sent off.
0: I did howl at that. That was... uh... That was one of the better things I've seen this season. Um, yeah, so I feel like we'll we'll turn it over to the, the points now. I feel feel here as well we'll get a kind of real feeling for where um how how well we're doing this tournament. Well, uh, I'd actually, like to get your but, but
2: before we get uh predictions going on here there's one thing sorry i was i was off uh answering a message there uh for some of that chat that's why i was so mute not just my diplomatic uh sensibilities kicking in <laughs> but um the one question i have as well just to finish this off uh and i apologize in advance if both of you've already uh addressed this but uh how do you solve a problem like wayne rooney
1: i mean it's kind of like he almost has to be in the team he's because the He's backed into a corner. This is why I am always in favour, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, of making your number one choice goalkeeper as the captain, right? Hey, look,
2: Peter Schmeichel is uh, an occasional captain for Manchester United. didn't pan out too badly.
1: Right, think about this, okay? If a goalkeeper has drastically bad form, it's very easy to drop him because he is the last line of defence. And if he's letting goals in willy-nilly, it's easy to put an arm around the shoulder and go, look, uh, whoever, um, I'm afraid you're going to have to step aside for a while. But if he's in the team, then you don't have to worry about any of your outfield players having a loss of form and having the sort of albatross around the neck of being captain and having to accommodate them. Like, it's quite possible that we're going to go with two up front And and Wayne Rooney behind, you know, we might play Vardy, possibly even Vardy out wide uh, with Kane through the middle and and then Rooney in behind. And that's just kind of squeezing the orange just a little bit too much. Just you can't quite. I don't think when you put in square pegs and round holes, which is something Hodgson has been accused of. And by the way, there's a lot of pressure on Hodgson because we were very, very average at the last European championships and played out an awful nil-nil draw of Italy, went out on penalties and really bloody deserved to, by the way. And then we couldn't even get out of the qualifying group in the world cup. So I've got to say, for Big Roy, like if he's not getting to the quarterfinals, semifinals of this tournament, he's looking at the axe. So there's a lot of pressure on him to make something happen.
0: I well, think... two things. Sorry, I was going to say two things. First of all, I imagine this is probably... I, I could see this being Roy's tournament, last tournament, because uh, you know, I, I can see him sort of inside the office with Pardew, just hanging outside with an axe, ready to just chop him to pieces at the first sign.
1: I may Uh, well move to Ireland with you guys. Yeah, well, I mean, not that I want (laughs) that.
0: And second of all, talking about the captain situation there, I feel there's the expectation, I don't know if they've made the ruling or it's something they're talking about, that um you know if there's an incident of foul whatever that it should be the captain that goes up to the referee and only the captain only which is something that i agree with and that's kind of problematic if your goalkeeper is the captain because you're not exactly going to expect him to run halfway up the pitch to uh kind of make an argument or a case for a foul
1: (laughs) that's that's actually quite a salient point mark i'm very impressed thanks (laughs) thanks
0: um, I, 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 I <laughs> after
2: that, yeah, after that <laughs> backhanded compliment I think that the two final points I want to make about Wayne Rooney are um, two kind of uh, I agree with the whole um, not not necessarily like isolating to just maybe making your number one goalkeeper captain but I certainly think for me kind of because I have these uh, you're probably the same Jack I have this weird these weird ideas in my head that like you know if say a player say for example like a defender has a, a number like a number nine on their shirt i feel a bit weird about that and um,
1: call so, it be the roost
2: yeah yeah so, and like the a similar thing i have for like when strikers are captains because i think that's a very for me if i was managing a football team uh i think that's the one part of the pitch i wouldn't think to put my captain in i'd think like midfield general center half tank or my number one goalkeeper would be my captain not necessarily my center forward i think you kind of you lead from a position in the middle or far back in the pitch and drive the team forward that's just always been my kind of mentality on it um, sure so like i don't really understand why wayne rooney apart from the fact that he is the longest serving player still there, uh, is the captain i also think one of the funny things i read in the build-up to this tournament one of the rare bits of the uh english media getting out of hand on a you'll have to forgive me for not writing down which uh, massively uh, hysterical uh, tabloid I I read this report in, but there was something about a kind of, uh, just a think piece on the England squad being this mix of uh, old and new, uh, about these young players coming in, even though Jamie Vardy is 20 fucking nine years old. uh, And uh, Wayne Rooney, I think the quote was the Wayne Rooney being the last of the, the most recent golden generation. And it gave me pause to think that the standards have slipped so much that a golden generation now is apparently a team that didn't win anything ever. Because this, oh, yeah. is, this is presumably a golden generation, they're including the likes of Jared and Lampard, who won no European Championships and no World Cups unless I was asleep for a very long time.
1: Although uh, although I, I sense your rage towards England and the Queen coming out just a little bit there. No, it's uh, no, it's, nothing
2: do, it's nothing to do with the country. And I'll tell you what, I like. it's will tell you one thing now. It's one of the it's one of the first times in recent years where there is not really there's no one player in the England squad where I'm just like. I, I wish them all well except for this guy. There usually Tom is Ian? one, one and There there usually is one massive heel in the England squad. Uh, and unfortunately in the last couple of tournaments that has not been it was John Terry's role for a while oh, um yeah. being the, the heel of football but uh, there's no one really like they're they're all a bunch of young lads. uh, Most of them anyway. And those who are kind of older are either they play for United like Wayne Rooney. So I wish them well, or they're Jamie Vardy who it is impossible to uh, hate unless you're a Spurs fan. Um, Yeah,
1: I am Danny Rose. I would pick out as being an absolute bastard uh, (laughs) and look out for him. Having been at Stamford Bridge a couple of months ago and seen him just basically try and kill everybody. Uh, Along with Eric Dyer. Although Eric Dyer, even though he's that kind of violent, sort of thuggish, brutish midfield general type, he kind of looks so gormless that I can't really hate him because I feel like there's nothing in there that you can really hate. It's just kind of lights and clockwork and not a lot else going on. Um, yeah, but the two players I'm excited about seeing for England are Deli Alli. He's had a magnificent season and had the last... Three games off because reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh silly punch and Marcus Rashford if he gets anywhere oh, near the
2: little player. Um also I'd like to say it's kind of disappointing and I, I you know I've known for some months that he wasn't that the timeline wasn't right for him to make it, but it's a very it, it's a big shame that Luke Shaw uh wasn't fit in time to resume duties for United and uh make a stab at getting into that England team. Because I think.
0: Yeah, so uh, you say that, I'm just going to fire up again that Jack Wilshire who yeah, claps well,
2: and fire
0: Jack, it up real fucking loud.
2: Jack Jack Wilshire at least actually played. Do you know what I mean? Like only for a few minutes, but it's still quite a bit ahead of Luke Shaw, who I think only returned to full training in the last week of the Premier League season. We talk uh, about, was, Hill, even we talk about having Hills made of fucking but glass. All right. I'll okay. fire up this claxon all fucking Jesus day long. price mark. Need to... Calm the fuck down, will you? <laughs> <laughs> but what I want to say about Luke Shaw is like it's a great shame because he's one of those players that very much I really hope that um injuries don't dog him throughout his entire career and he ends up like
0: a me litany... Jack Wiltshire How many how many times do I need to say oh this? Oh
2: my god. I I don't oh, want I don't want
0: Luke Shaw to end up
2: like the next uh, in like a line of England. Oh fuck off. <laughs> I don't want him guys, to be guys
1: guys guys. I know what you're saying. It would be a shame if Luke Shaw did end up as an injury prone player. Yeah, Nobody he was
2: before before he got crippled against PSV for like those first few games of the season, those first handful of games, he looked absolutely imperial at left back. He looked brilliant, and he's yeah. Again, I don't want him to turn into another like I'm trying to think who some of the more recent examples of this would be a player that just ends up having to retire because they just they just. Oh, fall there's that
1: apart. guy, the midfielder for Arsenal, young English guy, yeah, yeah. Has ankle Do you know his name, I can't Mark? remember his name. What was his name, Mark?
2: Uh, no, but I mean the likes of, like, <laughs> real tragedies, <laughs> like, the likes of even uh, maybe a Dean Ashton, who a lot of people said had a lot of potential if he, you know, if he oh, hadn't come Um Owen Hargreaves as well. Yeah, What? Well, well, how old is Hargreaves when he pretty
0: much was...
2: Uh, well, he, he went into his mid-30s, all right, but he was a guy who, like, we got one and a bit good seasons out of him at United, and that season where we won the double with the league and the Premier League, like, people talk a lot about... Um, Rooney and they talk about Ronaldo in that squad, but Owen Hargreaves was just absolutely integral in United's team that year. He was just unbelievable. Like on his day, he was he would have been the player of his generation had he not had like at least in midfield anyway for England if he had not um, fallen so prone to injury so frequently
1: i kind of feel bad for him um in the sense i, I, because I used to I feel, feel
2: really like bad in... for him until he went to city and then my sympathy dried up somewhat uh but you know
1: that's yeah or, or since he was like in spandex on youtube showing everybody how fit he was yeah. um and i mean that in a in a sense of a physical fitness not attractiveness because he <laughs> kind of looks like his hair is wet popcorn to borrow an anchorman tube quote um but yeah i i think that with everybody, the advent of of two midfielders now, and everyone really on the four two three one. Like ten years later, if Hargreaves comes along, like he's one of the most coveted players in Europe because he can do that role brilliantly. That sort of strong tackling midfielder, but someone that can also move the play on forward as well. And yeah, I, I look at this team, and I think the reason that Wilshere was taken sorry Mark is because he was very much being looked at as the guy that could do that and there's no one else really that can do that Dyer can do the the tough tackling role Henderson can do the going forward role but Jack Wilshere if he's fit and that's a big if is the only option that we really have yeah that like, could do that the, the, because the, the... we've excluded Danny Drinkwater <laughs>
2: yeah that's what i gonna say like Danny Drinkwater is the one who I think people argue should have gone in this place but um like you said, Jack Jack Wiltshire is that he's he's singular in the England ranks in what he can do when he's fit. So maybe like it could end up massive amounts of egg on Roy Hodgson's face if he gets injured again during this tournament, or it could look like an absolute masterstroke.
0: All right, let's get some predictions because this thing's going on way too fucking long already. Right, Jack, give me your one, two, three, four. Uh,
1: my one, two, three, four, I'm going England. Ho- hooray. Uh, Wales. Uh, who will finish level on points, in my opinion, with Russia, but will edge them on goal difference, largely thanks to the aforementioned Gary Bale. Uh, and Slovakia, I'm afraid, are going to be bringing up the rear, despite a, a spirited performance by Hamshik. I'm sure. Yeah, I I would agree.
2: Hey. I would agree with that order, but I would say that it won't be edging ahead on goal difference. I would say Wales will be several goals ahead of Russia by the time that group is done. Uh, when we like look back and think about. Uh, What we said about the lack of inventiveness in that Russian side going forward.
0: Uh, Yeah, I'm going to have to be a copycat here and say the exact same thing. Um, I think maybe not so much. I pretty might go more with Jack's side of thinking here, but I can definitely see Wales uh, getting that second place. Uh, I think actually, no, you know what? I'm going to say Russia going to be fourth. I'm going to give Slovakia the third place. I'm going to be a little bit daring. Wow. Yeah, that's what I do. To be I fair,
1: do. Martin Skirtle has threatened you, hasn't he? Uh, and that's why you're doing it.
0: Who hasn't he threatened? Have you ever stood- look at him?
1: Yeah, I-, I know what you mean. He kind of has that thing that, like, you know how um, in-, in Harry Potter, like Voldemort, like people yeah. don't even like to look <laughs> at him or publish his picture or they don't want to say his name. I feel like Martin Skirtle could easily be that.
0: So, on to Group C, and we're going to start off with Poland, who are making their third attempt at winning this tournament and were semi-finalists in 2012. Uh, they came second in their group, getting 21 points with six victories, three draws, and a loss. And in their last couple of friendlies, they actually drew tonight uh, at the time of this recording. They drew goalless with Lithuania. Uh, they had a 5-0 win over Finland, and they lost to the Netherlands 2-1. to one. So Poland, what do we think of them?
2: Uh, I think this is one, uh, again, like a couple of the teams so far, where their performance is going to be dictated a lot on their talismanic player, and that is, of course, uh, Robert Lewandowski. Um, My who, boy. Who I believe at the moment is subject of some potential transfer speculation um, where he could end up at Real Madrid before the summer is ended, which would be interesting. Um,
0: Slash terrifying for and, anyone else. And
2: not great for known extortionist Karim be- Karen Benzema uh who might be uh, forcing his way out the back door. Uh but yeah, his uh he's a guy who I think might be, even though he's not in the he's not surrounded by uh, an absolute blowaway team, might be a guy who will be worth a cheeky bet on uh being top scorer because as long as Poland are in there, he is a man who uh is cold as ice in front of goal and will bang them in once the ball gets to him. Um, you've also got some familiar faces in there, like the uh, the the one two of the the Dortmund men. Well, one of them former Dortmund. He's at Fiorentina now. Uh, that's Piszczek and Blazikowski. Um A couple of more recognizable faces in there. You're going to be familiar with all three goalkeepers there. Uh, Fabianski, who I think, like you want to talk about a guy who has made an incredible career rehab. Uh, it's Lucas Fabianski. Uh, Fabianski at one stage for Arsenal was, to say the least, an absolute punchline. Um, yes
1: um when you're uh on the back of a newspaper a reputable red top of course and oh, yeah. with with the uh headline flappy handski <laughs> things aren't going your way
2: yeah um Chesney. Do you want I think... to
1: talk about i was going to say do you want to talk about Chesney she- who has Chesney in the had... opposite yeah around. i was going to say
2: you want to talk about a guy who's had the opposite uh career uh trajectory and that's what was it, Chesney, who i remember uh won jack baker uh years and years ago hyping up on the board as being like basically the second coming of david seaman in terms of like he is going to be the arsenal number one goalkeeper his entire career um and like very much at some some sometimes early in his career had looked like that but it's uh it's all gone (laughs) it's uh i i don't think uh i think fabianski is a comfortable shoe in for number one goalkeeper this tournament and the third, of course, uh, former Celtic, current uh, or former Celtic, Southampton, and current Bournemouth goalkeeper Arthur Boruch, who I have again, to say is another one of these guys long. who, uh, on his day, is uh, a sensational keeper, but uh, again has some of those problems with consistency that Chesney shares.
1: I think this highlights English obsession with Polish goalkeepers ever since a guy by the name of Jan Tomaszewski came over here in like the late 70s, early 80s and had an absolute blinder at Wembley and kept a clean sheet and made about 20 saves. And I think ever since then in England, we've gone promising Polish goalkeeper Jan Tomaszewski-esque. We must sign him. And that's clear from the fact that all three Polish goalkeepers have played in the Premier League for many, many years now
2: you also got, um, what's his name, uh, Krzyzewiak, however you pronounce his name, the Sevilla uh, midfielder, who is proper hard as coffin nails there in the heart of uh, the Polish midfield, who is going to be uh, a handful for anyone who thinks they can uh, run clean past the the Polish midfield. Um, They're a kind of, they're a tidy outfit. They can cause a lot of problems uh, on the break. Those three men who at at one stage in period were all at Dortmund, Peter Shek, Blasikowski and uh, Lewandowski, when they all combine can be absolutely blistering and it's going to create a lot of problems for opposition managers in that they are going to have to definitely uh, keep themselves pinned back a little and not venture too far forward because they could very easily get caught on the break. But um, I'm not looking at them as major dark horses either at the same time.
1: I mean, they've got goals in them. Uh, obviously, Lewandowski, it's is well documented, the guy scored five goals nine minutes earlier this year. He did. Unbelievable. Uh, he's the joint leading scorer um, of all time in, in European football qualifications. Uh, you have a guess who he's joint with, if I give you one name david healy of northern ireland oh, isn't that weird that's a lot he scored stat. 13 goals in 2008 i think one of which against england uh quite famously and yeah he's so he's equaled that record Lewandowski and healy we've always said that they're they're just neck and neck as the two best strikers we've seen in some years in europe um I think one player you didn't mention that I really do want to mention, and it's it's one of those sort of toss-of-a-coin Dutch league kind of sensations. There's a guy called Arkadiusz Milik who has been on the books of Leverkusen before never really got his way there and kind of had a little cameo at Augsburg as well didn't work out for him but they lent him out to Ajax uh two years ago now and he he was pretty impressive he scored 11 goals in 20 appearances this year he's kind of set the Dutch league on fire he's been Ajax's kind of main go-to number nine and scored 21 goals uh, he's already got 10 goals in his 24 games and of a kind of fledgling Polish football career. And, you know, him and Lewandowski are kind of an epic one-two punch. And I, I do think they should go these two guys up front because defences are going to be looking out for Lewandowski. I don't really think that they're going to be giving as much mind to Arkady Milik, who's proven himself to be a natural-born goal scorer uh, in the last couple of years. So <laughs> I think that as the main focus of their team could be where they could do the most damage. I mean, it's kind of a, a tough group, you would say, for them. And yeah, there's... You would say be a, a, definitely uh, a sort of Kind of red herring team in Northern Ireland where we're not really sure despite qualifying top of their group what kind of team they're going to be, but i I do expect Poland to be scoring a lot of goals, and they do have a relatively steady defense as well they're not particularly going to wow you I think with uh, you know any kind of combinations or particular like excellent through balls and stuff I think it's very much big two men up front counter-attacks, Piszczak's pace on the break, and just when it comes to the sort of destruction, having uh, Krzysztof in the midfield uh, will be a pretty big boost to them, as Dave's already mentioned.
0: Well, it should be pointed out that Poland uh, do have the best goal-scoring record in this year's in this uh, tournament, uh, where they scored thirty-three goals. Although it should be said that one of those games was an eight-one thumping of Gibraltar, uh, but they do have the goals in them. Um, so I, I reckon they're going to be up there. And as you said, if uh, if Poland stay in this tournament, um, I. Don't see any reason why Lewandowski shouldn't Lewandowski, sorry, shouldn't be up there as one of the the kind of top scorers of the tournament.
1: Yeah, I think if they kind of play a similar style of football um, for any Premier League guys out there to, to what Watford did this season, and and have um, Milik and and Lewandowski kind of be their one-two punch, uh, similar to like Dini and Igalo were. So that would be the way forward for me. Just get it up there to the two big guys, and and they're going to make the difference for Poland. Hmm.
0: So, uh, Ukraine, along with Poland, were co-hosts of the 2012 European Tournament. And uh, Ukraine it's seen ass. themselves in the same group as Poland for this tournament. Uh, Ukraine got in as the f- one of the uh, f- teams to qualify or to finish third in their group. And then got through the playoffs, uh, which was kind of surprising, actually. I, I thought Ukraine would have been one of those teams to, uh, to kind of make their mark um I would have thought they would have beat Slovakia but ended up Slovakia ended up coming second in their group uh, and so this is I'm going to just go and check now this is Ukraine's second uh tournament the European tournament where they became or where they were semi-finalists in 2012 how do we feel about Ukraine uh considering they've also won their last four friendlies as well so they've got a bit of steam coming into this tournament
2: uh, I think uh, Yarmolenko is probably the the key to the Ukraine squad uh, and how well they do. Um, apart from that, like I can't really boast all that deep a knowledge of the current Ukraine team, excepting to say that uh, I would suspect strongly that uh, it is going to be probably themselves and Poland, that match there, which um, I don't have the date of that match in front of me, but whenever that match is on, that's probably the... Match that will, in all likelihood, decide who finishes behind Germany.
1: Oh, that's the oh, third match. Yeah. That, that is the group stage. match.
2: and there is going to be no love like lost it was written there. Written in the system. stars. Yeah, um but yeah. Apart from that, I don't really have much to add. Just that kind of yeah. The Ukraine Poland game is going to be a bit tasty, and there will be no love lost
1: i I love to see um, Anatoly Timoshuk, who is conservatively 65 years old at this point, uh, and he'll be possibly starting, you would say, in midfield as captain, and he's made 143 caps for his country and probably is going to be the most capped starting player because I don't actually think that Casillas will be Spain's number one goalkeeper. We can get to that a little bit later. Um, and he's still, you know, kind of relic of of the older days of of, of the sort of shevchenkos of of the world um
2: he was um he was asked in a quick q a here and this is coming from my 442 guide to the tournament uh he was asked about because i think one of the interesting things is going to be like what what could a strong ukraine performance at the tournament do uh with regards kind of like it'd be a nice uh distraction i'd say for what has been to say the least very tumultuous time in the country and he was asked, can a good performance uh, lift the mood of the Ukrainian people at this time? And he said, in this complicated situation, football unites the hearts of all Ukrainian fans and citizens. I hope it helps them to keep their heads high. We are focused on our games, but also are keeping in mind that results can inspire people and make them confident in our country's future. We are stepping onto the football field with an idea to fight for our country, for our citizens and for proud Ukrainians. Wow. Which is, like he's really like that is That is proper like battle cry before a tournament kind of stuff there.
1: I'm really impressed um with the major Ukrainian sportsmen. I mean the Klitschko brothers are a huge political powerhouse in Ukraine. I think I think Vladimir was even like they were they were basically trying to nominate him as leader of your country. And and really, if this guy is like around the table at a UN meeting, who's gonna disagree with what Klitschko says? I mean as, as scary a man as Putin is, if you roll out Klitschko, he he's gonna intimidate.
0: So, we make our way... <laughs> I wanted to <laughs> fucking say anything.
1: Are you... I, I can't believe that. Just silence. Anyway, um, Yevgen Konoplyanka for, for Ukraine is an awesome player uh, and has just won his third uh, Europa League in a row with Sevilla, who are one of the kind of trickier teams in Europe to play. Um, never seems to get together in a Champions League, but, you know, this is Europa a team... especially Specialists. Yeah, their their home form is unbelievable. Um and yeah, I saw uh Yarmolenko playing earlier this year and I thought I thought he looked good, but they were I mean, every opportunity Kiev were trying to get the ball to him. So there was a hell of a lot of pressure on him. So I think maybe that Konopianka um, can take a bit of the pressure off him and, and hopefully we can see him have a good tournament.
0: You should know, Jack, that we leave the politics only for the Eurovision specials.
1: <laughs> okay then.
0: Uh, Northern Ireland are making their debuts at the European Championships and they had a very, very good qualifying campaign, winning their group with 21 points uh, with 6 wins, 3 draws and 1 loss and uh, yeah David, you're a person from a country that's close to Northern Ireland. Tell yes, me how they're going to do it. I think
2: it is important for you as an Englishman to make the distinction that they are separate countries, <laughs> or you will annoy some people very much.
1: much One if... of them, uh, although technically though, Mark, as as a member of, of Great Britain, are we not then closer uh, to Northern Ireland? Yeah,
2: you would be technically much like it will be diplomatic for you later on when the Republic of Ireland come up, to not mention us as being part of the home nations, which is something that annoys people as well. But I couldn't give a shit about
1: How about being part of the British Isles?
2: I, I think people aren't fans of that either, really, to be honest. I think we just stick away from the descriptors altogether. But um, <laughs> It's just a lose-lose the situation. About, the thing about yeah. Northern Ireland is kind of like uh, Jack said, where in some respects, Northern Ireland are certainly an unknown quantity. Um, but one thing is for sure, based on their qualifying, is that they are very tough to break down. They can be a frustrating side uh, to play against that will kind of stop you uh, playing football through their midfield. And it is a midfield uh, that has an odd kind of uh, Manchester United tinge about it because we have one current United player in there and that's Paddy McNair in the midfield who like, he is, uh, people who only watch him at club level will only be familiar with Paddy as kind of a defender really, but uh, for Northern Ireland, uh, their manager... Uh, Michael Neal, he has uh, kind of decided that Paddy McNair's best position is as a holding midfielder, and he has been deployed in that position to kind of pretty good effect for them. Uh, But the midfield also contains former United players, Oliver Norwood and Corey Evans. So uh, as a United fan, that's an interesting uh, connection to the Northern Irish team. Kind of
1: like England with Polish goalkeepers. Do you think Man United just set up camp in Northern Ireland going, look, we had best... So we're going to keep going back to the world. Until well, we that's find the thing the with the
2: tradition of like from the the entire island of Ireland of Irish players who have kind of uh, broken through uh, in the ranks. United, United for the last thirty or forty years, even yeah, even further back, maybe even uh, have been. United are probably the strongest supported club over here. Um, now the younger generation, like the kids I teach in school, are all Chelsea and City fans. But that's kind of the way it goes. Um, but like back in my generation, uh, and those before it, there was really only three and it was United because they had the strongest connection to Irish players. Then behind them, Liverpool and behind them again, Leeds, uh, because of the, the John Giles connection. Um, so I would imagine that there was there was a lot of players who uh, went out of their way in the day to either uh, get on the radar of the United Academy or just do trials for the United Academy. But the one thing I want to say before I hand over to you, Jack, for the the, the rest of this preview for Northern Ireland is uh, it will be interesting to see if the massive baby face turn of one Kyle known bastard Lafferty continues. <laughs> uh, there was a man who was like, you want to talk about natural heels. Uh, was a man whose very presence on my television screen used to send me into an uncontrollable rage. Such was his prickishness. Uh, but now has really started to come good for Northern Ireland, and ha- he scored seven goals in the qualifying period for them. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if he can keep his head on, because I think he might be very, very important for them if he can. Uh, I think it was their manager who said that they want the... Um, you know, they want him with his head screwed on Right to be able to uh, actually... Oh, yeah, this is what he said, yeah. Michael Neal said, the team and the country needs the Kyle Lafferty with his head screwed on, not the clown.
1: I mean, it's fair. Um, Yeah. My favourite Kyle Lafferty quote actually comes from um, the the president of of Palermo, uh, where he was for just a little while when they were in Serie B, and they signed him up on a three-year contract. uh, And he started off not too bad. I mean, I think he scored 11 goals that season and and he was kind of I think his player of the year but the president Zamparini who himself has had a very sort of tetchy past and all sorts of weird suspensions over third-party ownership but he said that he was an out-of-control womanizer and that (laughs) his lifestyle was what actually resulted in him getting sold from the club so he's sort of said that he's more in control um, more interested in basically shagging than he is in playing football so if he scores eleven goals and that says to me that if he did focus on football, he'd be getting twenty. But I'm sure there are a lot of illegitimate children in the Palermo area, if Maurizio Zamparini is to be believed. I mean, it is a fairy tale story. Northern Ireland of all the teams that are making their first appearance in the Euros are the only team that actually won their group. I mean, you could argue about the strength of it, but I think that would be very unfair. And it's an incredible achievement for Michael O'Neill. I mean, if you look at some of the players, you've got Michael McGovern, who's Hamilton Academical and Scotland's goalkeeper. You've got Aaron Hughes, who's 36 and currently playing for Melbourne City. You've got Josh McGinnis, who's kind of the backup striker to Lafferty, despite, despite the fact that three or four years ago he was a goalkeeper uh, and is now just essentially a big tree up front in Scotland for Kilmarnock. I, the, the players that they had there, I, Fleetwood Town, I him McLaughlin, he plays for Fleetwood, uh, and he's a guy that's going to the Euros. I, I think that's kind of a wonderful story. Uh, and I think the star man, possibly... Uh, given the season that he's had for Wigan and the fact that uh, thanks to a crazy fan uh, is now a YouTube sensation will be Will Grick. He, yeah He's been out and out Wigan's best player this year and is on fire according to that YouTube song uh, and is probably going to be going into the tournament with a lot of confidence and, and hopefully can unlock a few defences which are also, according to the song, quite terrified of him.
0: Anything it, else before we move on? No, Is it
1: just requisite for everyone to stop talking when I stop talking? No, I now? see.
2: I always wait for Mark to come in because I've already kind of talked nonsensically for several minutes at this point. So I wait for him to chip in with his, but then he's just kind of off staring at the walls or something.
0: No, no, no just because I am here literally to move this vehicle along, I barely have any details to add to any of these teams <laughs> other than the big ones.
1: I'm I just sure like would know this by now. I'd just like to mention that I think it's incredibly sad that Chris Brunt got injured. Yeah, um, He's been a, a very solid Premier League player f- for quite a long time now. And, and He's got a hell of a cannon of a left foot. And this year he had the coin thrown at him when things weren't going particularly well for West Brom. And they, they got knocked out of the FA Cup, I think, by Reading. Someone, And he went over. He was the only West Brom player to go over to his fans at the end of the game and applaud them and someone threw a coin at him and it was literally I, I i'm gonna probably exaggerate the timeline but i'm thinking maybe a couple of days after dave if you can remember that he was then injured uh i think cruciate ligament and out for the euro so I, it's I really think, well, it tough
2: wasn't, it, well yeah there wasn't that much in between those two events
1: yeah i i feel sorry for him that he's going to be watching this uh on tv with the rest of us but uh yeah I northern ireland can't see them doing a lot but I love the fact that they're there
0: yeah finally the Germans um world champions yeah like I think we
2: started off this show and um, this first part of the show by talking up the chances that France have in their home nation uh, and I think now gentlemen correct me if I'm wrong but speaking as an historian as a history teacher if Germany were to come and spoil the party it will without contradiction, I think, be the most welcome unwelcome German invasion of France I can think of.
1: <laughs>
2: um, yeah, Ger- you were working on that one, weren't you? Oh, quite a while, I have some notes. Um, the German team is kind of one of these embarrassment of riches sort of teams. Um, like, even their three choices of goalkeepers are as strong as any three choices of goalkeepers any other Ooh. team can muster. You've got Neuer, Ter Stegen, and Leno as your top three like obviously neuer is in a different class of his own and being a known mentalist i can't wait to see what he does in this tournament uh there was that great was it during the last euros where he was it they went out to italy
1: yeah yeah that's right and, and yeah, he just where came he charging
2: just, charging at balotelli uh <laughs> which was incredible uh like a third of the way up the pitch I- incredible scene so i can't wait to see what I'd... he can do
1: yeah um... while you're still on goalkeepers dave yeah. um kevin Trapp, who has been yeah. awesome for psg uh, and he looked pretty decent when i saw him rolling out stanford bridge earlier mm-hmm. this year misses out like how good that guy is he's probably easily going to be first choice for at least half of the other teams in the rest of this tournament yeah. he misses out
2: yeah and i think like i i would almost put like if i was managing um i would almost put him in ahead of leno but i think leno has that kind of uh Familiarity with not necessarily playing for Germany. He only has one cap, but it, like being at the camp, um, I think some people would consider him uh, a surprise call-up. But uh, I, I can I can kind of see where they're coming from here. Like, in fairness, he's not going to play. It's, it's very very unlikely he will get a minute of football in this tournament. But uh, so it's, you could the, argue really
1: really the same about Petzschke as yeah, well. Yeah, in to fairness, be fair. like
2: unless Neuer goes full mentalist and like just actually killed somebody uh. yeah neither of those guys are getting a look in but like if their defence like if you just want to name their four like their likely uh, strongest four of uh, Boateng, Hummels, Huvedes, and Mustafi is just ridiculous uh, a midfield I'm going to list off right these ten midfielders here so you've got Emre Chan, who probably who, he might get a look in but pff, who knows Schweinsteiger who I think had a very very poor season at United and were it not for his stature within the German squad Uh, I, like, on merit alone from the past season, I don't think he gets the spot, but I I understand he's a figurehead. Yeah, he is their Rooney. Uh, Sammy Kadira, who I think, um, you know, a lot was written about Mesut Ozil in 2010 and that German squad that uh, humped England and did very well. Um, in the tournament as a whole. But I think Sami Khedira was the one of those two, him and Mesut Ozil, who was kind of underrated at the time and has been a consistent performer for that German team. Tony Cruz, rock solid. Mesut Ozil, again, a guy who has gone missing at times for Arsenal, is a popular accusation of him. But again, on his day, is one of the best players in the world when he doesn't have the ball. He is a guy who, like, you mightn't necessarily see it uh all the time on television unless you're really really looking for it but he is a man who absolutely destroys the way teams are lined up with his movement off the ball which can be very very important for that german team uh julian draxler a man who was mooted for a very 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 long time to be going to arsenal until he finally then didn't Uh, uh, (laughs) julian weigel who i i don't know an awful lot of except for the fact that he is a midfielder at dortmund so he's probably pretty good uh Leroy Sané in there from Schalke, who is uh, a very uh, pleasant to watch winger, and will be uh, an, an interesting uh, if he gets a look in in that squad. But then you got Mario Goetze, the man who scored the uh, the winning goal in the World Cup, and I'm not necessarily sure if he will be starting. Uh, because that midfield is so strong. And André Schürrle, the man who, despite the fact that Brazil were long since dead, came off the bench at half time and scored two more just to twist the knife in the World Cup in that most astonishing of games. Uh, the one point in this um, whole team where I think they are let down the most in terms of depth is the forward line, because you got Mario Gomez, who is kind of uh, a perennial presence in that team, who, you know, he's good for a couple of goals in these tournaments, but is never someone I would want to necessarily solely rely on. Uh, Lucas Podolski, you could probably say the same for... Uh, he works very well as part of that German squad, but is a guy who, certainly at club level, has never really lived up to the, the promise that he shows in that German shirt. And Thomas Muller, who is among the most curious players I have ever seen in my life, in terms of a guy who sometimes... For Bayern Munich, looks like a fellow who won a competition to play for them at the weekend. <laughs> but for the German team, it looks like the best centre forward in all of football. Uh, it's incredible, like the disparity between the two, um, and
1: specifically in major tournaments as well. Yes, Look yeah. at his goal scoring record in major tournaments.
2: Yeah, Crazy. Won, the World, won the World Cup with them as their main striker in twenty fourteen. Was the Golden Boot in twenty ten? Um, he. Like he has won an enormous amount at club level, but it's not because of him uh like I watch him for Munich, and I'm like, it's got to be like a twin brother or something like that and i I'm confused. I have no idea what's going on with him at Munich, but for the german team he's the he's the man uh up front, especially now that my boy Miroslav Klose is not in the squad anymore. He was shame, God, I loved him. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he 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 was a great, great, great player. I mean, all time Germany yeah. goal scorer. I had above such a Gerd Muller. He's I above ha- Gerd Muller.
2: I, I had such. I, I was so torn in the last World Cup whether I actually wanted him to become the World Cup's leading goal scorer uh, because I love him so much because it was going to take the record away from the my favorite player in my lifetime, the original Ronaldo. Like I yeah, was, yeah. I was so torn about it. But uh, yeah, uh, this German team. Uh it hasn't changed all that much in as and in some ways it hasn't changed at all, in that once again for the second straight tournament, Marco Royce has missed out due to injury, which is very unfortunate because he is a player who had he been in the squad I would have been looking at to light up the tournament because on his day Marco Royce is among the best players in that position in the world, but uh sadly is one of a litany of players who are missing out on this tournament because of injury. Jack?
1: Yeah, I mean, you've covered an awful lot there. I, I think Gomez is interesting to me because it's kind of a real redemption story for Mario Gomez this year because this is a guy that was obviously at Bayern Munich and, and, and has scored a hell of a lot of goals uh, and kind of sort of looked like he was coming to the end. And a and, and move to Fiorentina made sense for him because, you know, he's... Still got an excellent scoring record, even if maybe at the very, very top level that Bayern Munich wanted to be competing at. He wasn't quite the guy that you think is going to get it done, but he really fell out of favour at Fiorentina. He hadn't played a lot of games. He only scored seven goals in the league, and it was kind of sad to sort of see the shadow. But this year, he's he's been on loan at Besiktas and scored 26 goals in 33 games. I mean, say what you will about Turkish football, but again pretty impressive goal scoring record so i think it's cool to see him back um yeah he kind
2: of mario gomez kind of like in some respects in my head i almost consider him like the german equivalent of luca tony yeah in as much as a guy who like bursts onto the scene as an incredible like a big unit who scores a lot of goals and then kind of vanishes away for a while and then has now come back again as a guy who everybody's kind of rooting for to come good uh, so that he has a nice way to sign off his career when he eventually does hang up the boots.
1: Luca Toney, by the way, the best song ever written about any footballer <laughs> was written about Luca Toney. Are you familiar with it, guys? I am, I am. I am, yes. It. It, I mean just numero uno youtube numero uno it doesn't get any better than a german singing in italian about um minestrone and Luca Toni and all sorts of amazing rhymes
0: now the key thing is will germany win this tournament will they follow the trends that we've seen with france and spain uh, of winning the world cup and then going on to win the european tournament uh, they have been a little bit susceptible in a la- the last few games. Um, even in the qualifying campaign, there was that loss to the Republic of Ireland that Dave, you were there for. Oh
2: my, can we just talk about that for a second? <laughs> like, we'll get to talking about Ireland in the second part of this show, but I, like being on hand in the Aviva for Shane Long putting the ball in the German net was among the most special things I've ever been witness to at a live sporting event. Like, myself and Amo hugged each other and strangers and celebrated so hard that both of us were injured by the end of our celebrations. Um, It was an incredible performance that was kind of... It wasn't like the Germans didn't show up, but it was a case of what I think is going to be the Germans' problem coming into this tournament. And it's that Germany are... And this sounds like a really stupid, redundant thing to say, but follow me on this, is that Germany are very, very aware that they are the world champions. And could very much come into this tournament and underestimate some teams and kind of be looking past them to who their team is next. And that's where I think they might get caught out at some point, is this kind of assumption that, yes, we're Germany, we're the world champions, so we should therefore steamroll through most teams. And... It could be a case of that their hubris makes them a bit lazy, like it happened against Ireland, where they played against us and with a confidence that at some point the goals were going to come. But Ireland, who, like, I love a lot of players in that Ireland team at the moment, but Ireland are by no stretch of the imagination the best team at Euro 2016. They're not even close. But you gotta think that in a competitive game, if the Republic of Ireland can cause Germany a lot of problems and beat them one nil, when very much like the group wasn't fully decided yet at that point, um, you you gotta still have some question marks over that German team.
1: They play very open, um, yeah. and and that was the wow. other thing.
2: Yeah, speaking of the openness, and that was how they got caught. Is that Shane Long, who is also by no means the fastest player in the world? Like he's got he's decent, but he's not tearing up the pitch for pace managed to get the ball down beat two maybe even three defenders with his pace and rifle the ball past neuer before they even really realized what was happening
1: yeah i um, we'll get onto Ireland, but i hate shane long and i mean that as an <laughs> intense an, an intense compliment believe it or not but we'll get to that a bit later obviously journey played very open i mean Manuel neuer is essentially a sweeper uh <laughs> And he kind of mops up behind the German defence more often than not. So they're very susceptible to being caught on the counter. And with the recent results, like being beaten by Slovakia and some bunch of chances called England, um, I think that perhaps teams have probably sussed out how to play against them. Like, I mean, you look at that Spain team from a few years ago, and they're still the remnants of it, by the way, when we move on to Spain. I, people figured them out but they still couldn't stop them. Um, Whereas people have figured Germany out and they can stop them. And I think that's key.
2: Yeah, I think one of the crucial things about Spain is that people figured out Spain, but at the same time, Spain have a sort of variety within their ranks that they can kind of change things up if they really wanted to. Whereas I think with Germany, uh, a lot of the changes you could make within that squad there are kind of like for like. Like, there's no one you can say looking at the likely starters versus the likely players warming the bench. There's no one player I can think of, obviously, there, unless someone like Leroy Sane has an incredible tournament that you can say can come off the bench and completely change the way that Germany play. You're, you're,
1: excellent point. With it, with the exception of perhaps, um, Gomez, who just would offer a bit more of a physical presence up front than perhaps Muller will, yeah. Um, and 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 kind of is the german equivalent of jermaine defoe um he knows a way to goal he might not be effective in a full 90 minutes but you bring him on half an hour to go he might find the back of the net i mean he's the third all-time leading goal for germany uh but in midfield they're very much of a muchness at the back the same sort of thing and the way they play tactically they're easy to catch i feel like mark wants to move us on though to the uh, predictions for this group
0: Yeah, let's get some uh, predictions. Where where are we thinking how Um, this group is going to be organized? I am saying,
2: and this is all big shout, Germany top of the group. And I think probably uh, with either seven or nine points, because I think the only team in there I can see causing them I could see Poland possibly getting something from them because of the aforementioned uh, susceptibility to being caught on the break. And I think Poland in that group are the perfect team to carve Germany up on the counter should the opportunity arise. Absolutely. So I think Germany could finish this group with seven points, but almost certainly will top this group. Uh, Behind them then, I'm going to say Poland followed closely by Ukraine and Northern Ireland bringing up the rear and hopefully... Making a decent account for themselves, uh, I'd I'd like to see them get through this tournament uh, without becoming the laughing stock of the group. Although I will say, if one team with Ireland in the name is going to be made a laughing stock, I would prefer it be them.
1: <laughs> very magnanimous of you. Yeah. <laughs> um, um. Unfortunately, I think North Ireland are going to be cannon fodder in this group. It is very, kind of almost disrespectful considering that they qualify quite well, but. To me, Germany top the group. On um, know right, Poland a second. I see Germany with nine points. I see Poland with six, and then I see Northern Ireland and Ukraine duking it out for uh, for, for a third place. And honestly, I'm not that fussed by the order of these two. I I think maybe they'll both kind of. Want the win, but then neither one of them will be too dissatisfied with a draw. So I see that kind of ending up as sort of a one-one type situation, and I see the point configuration being Germany nine, Poland six, Northern Ireland Ukraine one each.
0: I am gonna say just by looking at the the fixtures that uh, Northern Ireland start off with Poland, and then Ukraine, and finally end up with Germany. So they're gonna really be looking towards those first two games to try and get any kind of points at all. Uh, and, and I can see that Ukraine game being the key one. And I'm actually, I'm going to, I'm going to mix up a little bit here. And I'm going to say that Northern Ireland will finish third. Oh, big shout. Yeah, big shout. Uh, I do believe that Poland will finish second. And I'm going to say Ukraine will finish fourth in this group. Uh, uh, and, and on that hot take, uh, this is going to end the first portion, the first half the, of uh, the. Recording as as it should have been expected. This thing is going on forever, uh, and we will be back for the second half uh, after a uh, after some time. So thanks for listening, and uh, yeah, we'll see you again shortly.
2: whenever you want to start, Mark. Thank
1: you. Oh, is Mark fucking taking the lead on this, is he? Yeah,
2: because he thinks he can uh, reign us in.
1: <laughs>
2: so, right. by the way, specifically, okay. if you can talk for half an hour about Albania, I'll win a bet.
1: <laughs> oh, man, I just... I, I, I've got about five minutes of Albanian material.
2: That's more than Mark probably
0: bet you would have. <laughs> okay, five, four... Free? Are you doing the Wayne's World thing? Yes. You doing doing damn right <laughs> You're damn right, I am. <laughs> oh
1: dear. Oh. Well done. That's already the funniest thing that's going to happen here.
0: Look at me doing my pop culture references. Okay.